Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message. Let's go. Hey guys, I get the honor and the privilege to introduce the gentleman speaking with us today. And as we bring him out here, uh, his name, you may know of him, his name is Scott Hayes. He is the pastor of Element Church. So please give it up for this individual right here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, he is one of one. And before we start, it's actually really cool. If you've ever heard my story, my opportunity of just coming to the Lord, it actually was a message that this man shared. And so I was at a summer camp in high school and he had uh, shared a message and just Honestly, I just, since then, I've just been reminded and just encouraged to be like, wow, you are a dangerous, incredible tool that God uses. And so today, as us, as family, community, friends, brothers, sisters, lean in, receive, because I think he's got a powerful message for us. So love you, Scott. Well, what's up, City Life? So good to see all of you. And uh, hey, I am, whether you know it or not, we're family. So I'm kind of like the uncle. I would say I'm the crazy uncle, but you probably have other people that are crazier than me, so I just get to be an uncle. But uh, I just wanted to start out and just say how much I love you, how much I love your church, how much I love your team and your pastors. You guys realize that the Veerlings are some of the greatest human beings on the planet, right? Uh, I've gotten to know your pastor and be in intimate places with your pastor for decades now. I've known him. We've known each other since we were in our early 20s. Um, I remember I actually was getting ready for today, and I actually went back and pulled some photographs of an 80s-themed birthday party that we were at. I think this is about 15 years ago. I think we got a picture of me first. Um, Yeah, there we are right there. And that is us at an an 80s-themed birthday party. And uh, we're not cool. Um, and that is us before the years of pastoring, and that's the before beards. So that's our pictures right there. And I want to let you guys know we've been family a long time. And so uh, I just wanted to start out and give honor where it's due. I want to honor your pastors. They're incredible. I want to honor your team. I, I just got to tell you, coming in and just every time I'm here, I'm so blown away by you guys. You're incredible, incredible people. And I just wanted to say, uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Scott. I pastor across the city over in East Lansing. And I wanted to say to you, thank you for the work that you're doing in our city. So would you just give yourselves a hand? I know that might be weird, but I love you. I honor you. I honor your pastors. You guys are incredible people. Um, incredible, incredible people. So Today we are in Roots with the Fam, and I consider myself part of the Fam, and I am rooted with you guys, and so I feel like I'm right at home. I really do feel like this is coming home for me, and so again, thank you for for having me. But um, I was praying about this morning and the time that we get to spend together, and I was, you know, uh, whenever I go somewhere, I like to just be able to bring this like uh, light, airy, encouraging kind of word, just kind of show up and smile and. And uh, so I was hoping for that. And as I was praying for you guys, I really felt like the Lord impressed on me something more substantial. And, uh, and so I wanted to lean into that today. And I wanted to talk to you today about pressing, the pressing. I wanted to talk to you about Gethsemane, which is not, in my mind, doesn't sound fun at all. I just want to acknowledge that. Um, but I want to today talk about how Gethsemane is a gateway. And really, if I could share the story of my life, maybe it's the story of my life, definitely the story of my life over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of pressing. And maybe that's been true for many of you as well, but I just wanted to go back quickly and let you guys know, uh, for me, when I was a young person, uh, I am a, if you wanted to say, a statistic, a survivor of sexual abuse in my youth. 
Uh, I was actually, in hindsight, I can look back and see that I was actually groomed uh, for that, which was really uh, crazy to, to be able to see that thread now. But I had a, a, a pastoral kind of figure, a spiritual kind of figure, and it was, uh, that was, a, it, it was, a, it was a hard, painful uh, experience. Right, uh, I could stand on this stage today and talk to you about how there are fractures in my family. I could stand on the stage today and talk to you about some of the lost dreams of the last two years of our church that we lead, uh, my wife and I lead over in East Lansing right now. Places where dreams have died over the last couple years. Friendships I've lost over the last couple years. And it's really quiet, it gets really quiet when we start talking about this stuff, right? Because as, as, as we sit in this room, for every single one of us as I'm talking, you might be like, yeah, I relate with that, that sexual survivor, that, that abuse story. You might say, I, I relate with that familial story. I relate with that dream died story. Um, just recently, uh, last month actually, we learned that my brother-in-law uh, was just diagnosed with stage four melanoma all over his entire body. And we're praying for a miracle. And um, so if you would join us in those prayers, I would really appreciate that. But I just found that out. And so, you know, here's the thing is, I remember reading a quote recently and it said in the Western church, we have a really underdeveloped theology of pain and suffering that we, uh, we, we don't know how to do Gethsemane. We really don't know how. We know how to do the mountain, uh, but we, we really struggle in the valley. And I wanted to just say that my pain is different than your pain, but our pain is valid. Everyone's pain here is valid. So I wanna take a moment. I didn't come here today just to talk to you or to like be cool and like get to show up. And you guys, you guys are so cool. You guys like drip with cool. You know what I mean? City life, you guys are like drip cool. Um, I came here today because the word of God is anointed to break the power of the enemy over our lives. And I came here today just to take a moment and share some of his word with you in the place of pressing and pain in your life because his word will do a work in your life. And in a room like this, your pain is valid. So let me just take a moment and pause and just say to, to you, that area of pain that you're feeling, sensing right now, maybe for some of you it's even emotional a little bit, can you just kind of hold that intention this morning because I believe God wants to speak right to that. And I believe that as you keep that in front of you today as we talk, that God is gonna just breathe on that and blow on that and I believe do some work on that this morning. And so I wanted to just say I validate your pain. I know your pain's different than my pain, but your pain's valid. And in a room like this, you probably relate with one or maybe several of mine. Maybe you have your own that I didn't mention, but whatever it is, I validate your pain. And I think God wants to speak to us about that today. So I wanted to start out and uh, I wanted to go to the word Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane, it's, it's in the Bible, it's the place where Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. It's the place of surrender and pressing. And the word Gethsemane actually means oil, um, olive press. That's literally what it means. It's, he prayed in the garden of pressing. Isn't that interesting? In Mark 14, 32 through 36, it says this. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So they went to a place called the Olive Press. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And again, maybe as we talk this morning and as you've taken that place in your area and you hold an intention, there it is right there, deeply distressed and troubled. Verse 34, Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I want you to give yourself permission to acknowledge in your life there are some moments like that. There's some places like that. There's some diagnoses like that. There's some experiences like that. And I'm here to remind you today that Jesus knows exactly what those moments are like. He gets those moments. 
But even maybe more important than him getting the moment, he does get the moment, that's so important. He gets you in your moment like that because he lived it. My soul's overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch with me. And then uh, as you keep reading, it says, uh, keep watch, uh, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and he prayed if it's possible that the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus gets those moments and he gets us in those moments. And so as I said, I think the Western church has an underdeveloped theology of pain and suffering of the Garden of Gethsemane. But I, uh, and, and I understand why we do that a little bit because uh, America, right, the culture of America, it gives us a lot of kind of false gospels. And I know you guys are well, um, like you guys get this, like I know this, this platform talks about this all the time. But in America, we have idols of consumerism. We have idols of kind of self-help and I'll do it myself. Like the American American story is I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I'm awesome. That's pretty much the American story, right? And, uh, and we celebrate that and we clap over that. And, and here's the thing, I think God wants us um, to, to work hard. I think he wants us to steward well. He wants us to be courageous. But we kind of interweave a lot of that stuff into our Christianity. And a lot of us come away with the false, what I would call the false trinity. It's me, myself, and I. And that is not the trinity and that is not the gospel. And so here's the deal, you guys. What we have to do is take take culture and Christianity and we, we don't separate them because we minister to culture, but we need to understand the theology of being able to separate them out. So what I wanna do with the rest of our time is I want to actually be able to take that apart and say, okay, let's look at the, the, the theology of pain and suffering a little bit, but then I think we also have an, another underdeveloped piece of our understanding of pain and suffering, and that is we have an underdeveloped theology of the joy that we have as Christians in pain and suffering. That, that in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus is praying and pouring out and he's on the ground and he's crying out and he's weeping and he's literally bleeding out sweats of, drops of sweat and blood out of his body, that in that moment there's joy. And you go, what the heck are you talking about? Well, it's actually really interesting because if you keep reading around in the New Testament, you find this scripture in Hebrews 12 too, it says this. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, watch this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Jesus has this moment of pressing in Gethsemane and he's overwhelmed to the point of death and the Bible tells us that he's actually going through it because of the joy that's set before him. What the heck does that mean? And those are the two theologies that I think we don't hold in tension very well and especially because America says, well, you should be prosperous and happy all the time. And the gospel doesn't say that. The gospel says you will have trouble, you're gonna have trouble, but there's a joy in the trouble. I'll read it to you because Jesus specifically talks about this. In John 16, Jesus says this, I'm telling you these things so that in me you may have peace. I don't know if that's you, if you'd like any more peace. I know for me, I'll take some more so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And I wanna read you one more scripture out of 2 Corinthians 4, 17 because it shows where the joy comes from. It says, for our light and momentary troubles, and I know they don't feel light and momentary to us, the Gethsemane moments do not feel light and momentary, but in light of, it says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So that the pressing is actually producing something, that Gethsemane is actually a gateway. And there's actually a joy in that that we carry as Christians. It says, Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him 
and then he scorned the shame of the cross, and then what, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. See, he was headed somewhere, and he was going to do something else. And so uh, what I wanna do is I wanna give you very quickly, people say everything happens for a reason, that's true, but it's not always the same reason. And, uh, and I wanna give you a couple sources of our pain, because I think that helps inform our theology of pain and suffering. And then I wanna give you two things uh, that we actually can do in our pain to walk in this joy. So I'm gonna go through these first uh, sources of pain really quickly, but um, where does our pain come from? It, because it doesn't all come from the same place. There's different ways that pain comes into our life, pressing comes into our life. Number one is sometimes we have pain or pressing simply because we're dealing with the consequences of our own choices. Do you know if I hit my thumb with a hammer, Jesus still loves me, but my thumb will be throbbing, right? That's pain, that's pressing, but it's because I did something stupid with zeros, sometimes stupid with zeros on the end of it. Like it's like I did it, um, you know, if I hit my thumb with a hammer. And you know, for some of us, if you send that text, Jesus will still love you, but your relationship will be throbbing. Sometimes we're, we're dealing with pain and suffering just because of the consequences of our own actions. And number two, sometimes we deal with pain and suffering and pressing because of the condition of the broken world that we live in. It's just a natural order. We know that in Genesis, God created everything good, and then we know that sin came in and corrupted the world. And we know that now we live in a broken world. That's the current place that we live. And sometimes we deal with pain and suffering simply because we live in a natural fallen world. And I could you know, do a lot of teaching on that. I won't do that for this morning, but I think you understand what I'm talking about. And again, if I step off a cliff and I fall with gravity, God still loves me, but I'm gonna experience the consequence of gravity. Number three, pain and suffering. Where does pain and suffering come from? Number three is sometimes we experience pressing and pain because we are in a spiritual battle for the souls of humanity. And the Bible says you have an enemy of your soul and I have an enemy of my soul. And sometimes we are actually just dealing with the consequence of the battle that we find ourselves in. In the New Testament, it actually says, in Romans 12, 21, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That sounds like a fight. And then in 2 Timothy 2, 3, it says, join me in suffering like a good soldier for Jesus Christ. And then um, in the Old Testament, we actually have this moment where Daniel is actually praying. He's, uh, he's in a tough spot. He's in a pressing spot, and he prays, and he asks God for help. And then it's seemingly nothing happens. And you guys may know the story if you're familiar with your Old Testament, but in Daniel 10, uh, there's an angel that eventually shows up to Daniel, and this is the conversation that takes place. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. He's like, hey, I heard you on day one, and I came on day one. And then check this out, verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. What does that mean? What in the world is happening there? And here, I'm not gonna build out the whole theology of that, not like I could anyway. I don't know everything that's happening there, but here's the one thing that I do know, is that there is a battle that we're in and we don't understand everything. And sometimes we deal with pain and suffering and pressing because we're in a spiritual battle and we may not understand all that's happening in the unseen places, but we can deal with pain and suffering because of that. Number four, where does our pain and suffering come from is this, is that we're experiencing God growing us up. Now, my, my understanding of the Bible is that God is good. John, I have John 10, 10 theology. I don't know if you guys, um, it says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So I can kind of run pain and suffering through that filter. And, uh, and I know that Jesus does not bring death and, and that kind of suffering. Uh, he brings life. But sometimes life can be found in the pressing places, in the growing up places. Um, years ago, we um, lived in a different house than the one we live in now. It, 
And we had, a, we had a little pool in the backyard. And when my kids were growing up, uh, I would actually teach them to swim. And uh, my daughter, Ellie, uh, our oldest, she actually just turned 16 and she's driving now, so pray for a brother, okay? But she's actually great. Um, she, she's, uh, she's doing a great job. But um, I was teaching her to swim and we had this little tight plastic slide and she would get up, she had a little swimmy diaper on, and she would slide down the slide into the shallow end and I would catch her right above the water. Didn't even get her face wet, it was awesome. And then there came a little bit of time as we would work on that and she'd get used to the water. I'd say, okay, Ellie, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna let you hit the water. You're gonna go under and I'm gonna catch you about a foot under the water. You're gonna actually get your face wet. And I would catch her under the water and I'd pick her up. And she'd, you know, do that. You know how they do, uh, if you have kids, you know, if you've been around kids and they, they do that. And then she learned that. And then I'd say, okay, Ellie, here's the deal. You're gonna come down, you're gonna slide, you're gonna go down, you're gonna hit the bottom of the shallow end and you're gonna press off and you're gonna come up and I'm gonna catch you. And she to do that. And then there came the day when I said, Ellie, you're gonna come down the slide. I'm talking to a two-year-old, right? You're gonna come down the slide. You're gonna hit the bottom. You're gonna come up and I want you to swim to the side of the pool that I always help you over to. Are you guys tracking me so far? And she comes down the slide and she goes down. She hits the bottom. She comes up. She surfaces and she's waiting for me to catch her. And she can't see because there's water in her eyes and she's two and she doesn't know how to wipe them because she's swimming, right? So then she comes up and I never forget this moment. And she comes up, I'm right here. I'm within, I'm literally probably within a foot and a half of her face. And she comes up and she can't see and she's like, does this number? And then she realizes dad's not catching me. And then you just watched her flip her lid. She freaked out. She's like, ah, ah. And then, and then, ah, yeah. And I'm not kidding, like, terror, like, ah! And I'm like, I'm right here. But I'm not gonna touch you. Because I need you to learn to swim, because if you don't learn to swim, then, then you're gonna have way bigger problems than the moment we have right here. Because the moment we have right here, you're actually safe. You don't know you're safe, but you're actually safe because your father's right here. And even though I'm not catching you, I will protect you. And there's a difference between God's silence and God's absence. They're not the same thing. And sometimes we're in pain and pressing because God's growing us up. Because he knows you need to learn to swim in order to survive. And so he will allow the pressing to come in and he will grow us up. You know, if you go home after a long day's work or a long day's school and you flop on your couch and maybe you're watching something on Netflix and you're enjoying it, whatever, and your roommate or your spouse or whoever comes in and they're like, get up, drop down, give me 20 push-ups," You'd be like, what is wrong with you? Leave me alone. But if you went to the gym and you were paying a personal trainer to press you, to help you mature and grow, you would expect that they would say, drop and give me 20, give me another one, you got one more in you. And they would begin to press and they would begin to stretch and they would begin to challenge you so that you could grow, so that you could mature, right? It has to do with the expectation because we think on the couch, don't bark at me to do 20, but in the gym, you better bark at me to do 20. Actually, if you could press me to do 22, if you could, that'd be great. By the way, I'm paying you to do it. And here's the thing, in Christianity, so often, we have this underdeveloped theology of pain and suffering where we think, we think like, well, I want the couch moment, give me the Netflix remote and just let me do my thing. And American culture likes that. But Christianity's like, hey, your father's growing you up. And you know what, you're in a spiritual fight. And this matters. 
So keep, keep moving, keep going. And hey, by the way, your father's right there. He's right there. So let's change our expectations. And you know, one of the challenges that we have is that we change our view of God because we don't get the outcomes that we expect. And I think that's the dangerous part. And I think that's the enemy's play is that when we don't get the outcome we expect, I wanted the Netflix couch moment and I don't get it, then I'm like, well, God, maybe you're really not good then. And that leads me um, maybe to this fifth idea of the source of pain and pressing is sometimes he's inviting us to deeper intimacy. I'm gonna do this very quickly, but in the Old Testament, Elijah actually is super depressed. He has this great moment with God where he calls down fire. If you guys are familiar with the story, he's fighting the prophets of Baal. He has this super spiritual moment and God actually comes down in fire and burns up the altar. It's amazing and all this stuff. And then he goes and he's super depressed. And when he gets super depressed, an angel shows up and ministers to him and he eats a meal and he takes a nap, which by the way, that's sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do. That's a sermon, for real. Somebody needs to hear that today. Sometimes you need to take a nap and eat a good meal, like okay. But, but uh, anyway, if you know the story, then he's in a cave and he's griping and he's bitter and he's upset. And it says that God shows up to him in what? In a still small voice, you remember that? Not in the fire, which he just saw God in the fire, not in the wind, not in the loud, but in the whisper. And why do you whisper? The reason you whisper, if I could propose to you, is you whisper because someone needs to be close to hear you when you whisper. And God wanted to teach Elijah in his depression and in his bitterness that you don't need God's power, you need God's presence. And sometimes you just need God's presence. You, you know, sometimes we just need to be with him and we need to lean in and we need to hear his whisper. So sometimes we experience pressing because God's inviting us to intimacy. I wanna, in the time we have left, I wanna give you two thoughts about what we do in our pain and suffering. And again, I want you to remember the thing that you pulled out earlier that was in front of you, kind of in your proverbial hand here. And I want you to put that in focus. And here's the two kind of thoughts that I would like to share today about what we do. Number one is we pray for the airlift, but we look for the parachute. So what does that mean? Well, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed for an airlift. Do you guys have, you know what I'm saying? An airlift is when you're in trouble and a helicopter or something comes in and they actually grab you and take you out. And Jesus prayed for this. He's like, hey, if there's any way that this cup could pass for me, hey God, I'm paraphrasing. Hey God, if I could get an airlift out of here, I will take one right now. Right? Can I tell you something? God is good and he's good with the airlift prayers. Jesus prayed it. Jesus, God in the flesh, prayed the airlift prayer. And so not only is God okay with the airlift prayer, it seems like he actually practiced it. And I do believe that if you read the scripture that it tells us to do airlift prayers. Here's the thing, God does airlifts still. He's a miraculous God. He does airlifts still, you guys. And we pray for airlifts. I'm praying, I'm praying over my brother-in-law, I'm praying for an airlift. I'm like, just heal him. Like now, like yesterday, like heal him. We're praying for the airlift. Airlift prayers are good. Get me out. Do you ever pray that prayer? Just get me out. Like it's pressing, it's pain, it's struggle. Just get me out. Just get me out. I just want out. And Jesus prayed for an airlift and there's no problem with that. God is good. He's, he's good with the airlift prayers and he does airlifts, but he also does parachutes. And the parachute is a promise because sometimes God will do an airlift, but God always promises a parachute. And sometimes we want airlifted out and we're looking for the helicopter to show up to take us, just get me out of here. But God actually is parachuting in to be with you. And his promise is I will be with you in your pressing and in your pain and in your suffering. I will be present. And Jesus actually demonstrated that for us right there in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
says an angel came and ministered to him. There, he was praying for the airlift out and the angel's parachuting in. Hey, I'm not taking you out, but I'm gonna go through with you. In Psalm 23, four through five, it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which by the way, if there's a shadow in the valley, it means there's light somewhere. I love that, don't you love that? God is somewhere, otherwise you've got no shadow, you just have darkness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, why? Because you airlift me out. It doesn't say that, I don't know if you're reading out, yeah. For you're with me, because your parachute came in and you're actually here in the middle of this with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies right in the middle of the pain in the press. You anoint my head with oil and then watch this, my cup runs over. I'm good. It starts out, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You make me to lie down in green pastures. You know sheep, if they are hungry, they're not lying down, they're eating. I'm lying down in green pastures. Um, you lead me beside still waters. Well, I'm not leading behind, beside a still water if I'm drinking, if I'm thirsty. You restore my soul. I'm good. Hey, in the middle of this, in the middle of the press, you are with me, you're parachuting in. And here's the deal, sometimes he airlifts us out, always he parachutes in, and both are miracles. Both are miracles. And our importance is to keep our response to him proper. And I wanna give you this really quick because we're at, uh, at the close of our time. But um, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, there's two thieves, one on each side of him. And whenever the Bible gives us two in the same situation, often it's comparing and contrasting. And the thieves are on both sides of Jesus and uh, they both, they're both have this moment where they're suffering and they're impressing, right? And so one of the thieves, if you guys know the story, one of the thieves says this, Luke twenty-two thirty-nine: 39, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Let me say it this way, if you're really God, get us out of here. Airlift us out of here, get us out. And then the other thief, he does something totally different. The other thief in uh, Luke 23, 42 says, Jesus, I, I, he knows who he is. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So one thief says, if you're God, get me out of here. And the other thief says, you are God. Get me wherever you are. One prayed for an airlift, which is a fine prayer, and one prayed and looked at, let me see where the parachute is. God, where are you working? God, what are you doing? And I just think we should be praying, God, where are you instead of why? And in your place of suffering and pain, instead of why, God, hey, God, where are you working? And one of the prayers I like to pray is, Father, what are you up to today? God, let me see your hand at work today. And I love that. I'm gonna close, this is the last point. What do we do in our pain and suffering? We find joy in what we are becoming. We find joy in what we're becoming. It says that Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. Check this out, I brought this for you guys. I actually bought this for you guys. I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't have one to give everybody. I wish they were like Oprah, you get a press and you get a press, you know? But uh, I bought this on eBay. This obviously is not like a biblical time press, it's, but it's old. And what would happen is uh, in, the old, in the old days when they would make olive oil, they would put the olives in this big stone thing and they would have a wheel that would roll over it, usually led by like maybe like a donkey or whatever. But it would press the olives and the oil would run down. And I wanted to bring this as a visible because you put olives in the basket and then you, you wheel this wheel, you, you crank this wheel and it presses that plate down and then the, the oil begins to run. Out of the press, out of the pressing, out of the painful places is where the oil comes. And Gethsemane means olive press. It's, this is Gethsemane. 
And there's a lot of reasons why this wheel gets turned and there's a lot of dynamics to that. But when that wheel gets turned, God has got this little thing, my cup runneth over underneath it and it's catching the oil. And I was so fascinated because if you go back and study olive oil, what you find out is that they would use olive oil for a lot of things. It would bandage wounds. It would anoint their head and it would make them look like they had vigor and life. And it also would light up the darkness. And I was, I do these weird things sometimes where I picture myself as something that can't talk, but I make it talk. So like an olive. And I start to think about myself, like if I'm an olive and you have me in this press and that plate starts to come down and that thing starts to crush and that oil starts to run, I have, I have an option of how I respond. I can look and go, God, I see the olive muck. I've been pressed. I'm struggling. Or I can say, God, I am pressed. I am struggling. But God, there's oil, your anointing that is flowing out into my life. And it is going to come for other people so that there can be healing and vigor and life and light for a dark world. And I think about the olive and I think about a piece of fruit's actually becoming the light for the world. It's becoming something else through the pressing because Gethsemane is a gateway. And so I just came this morning to tell you, remind you what I already read, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. Therefore, why? Because everything we just talked about. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And I wanted to close this morning. I think the, the ministry of words is really important, but I think the ministry of presence is also very important. And so if you would allow me, I would like to just pray over you. And that moment that you grabbed earlier, that moment of suffering, that moment of pain, I would um, like you to bring that before you. And I would just like to pray and minister and let the Holy Spirit just be present. I know he's present in the room, but I would just like to, to, uh, to be able to minister to you. So if you would just close your eyes with me and I would like to pray. Father, we know that your word and your presence, God, the anointing, is what comes to break the work of the enemy over our lives. God, I pray right now for your sons and daughters, for the ones that you love, the ones that you've chosen, the ones that are precious and dear to you. God, many of them may feel like you're not around. They may be dealing with the pressing, the place of pain. But God, your silence and your absence are not the same thing. And so I pray right now, Father, that as we pray for airlift, we, those are good prayers and we should pray those, but God, I pray that you'd show us where the parachutes are. I pray for every person here within the sound of my voice, every person watching online, God, would you show them where the parachute is? Where are you, Father? Where are you working? Where are you right now? And if it's possible, airlift us out. We pray that, we pray for that prayer. But God, we know the promises that you are with us. You are the good shepherd and you are near. And so God, right now, I pray that you would be with your people in an uncommon way. Even in this moment in the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be with your sons and daughters in an uncommon way. Would you begin to reveal yourself and speak and show. God, help us with our expectations. God, keep our hearts soft. Like the thief on the cross, let us just cry out, God, show me where you are so that I can be with you. And God, I just pray this prayer over us. Father, you can just pray this with me, Father. I relinquish my pain, my disappointment, and my questions to you. In the light of this moment, I ask you now to take the things that crush me 
and turn them into something valuable, meaningful and beautiful. Light my darkness that I may shine in the shadows and banish fear forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. To get connected, learn more, and invest financially, go to citylifelansing.com. You belong here.